person who wants it, it's actually they actually listen to it. As far as I know. <laughs> for five hours on that too and my leg was so swollen it's big now but it was mammoth do a lot better now yeah. well I appreciate that me too okay man. hey Donnie all right Scotty, how, how are you? Doing, man? You're all right. Obviously, you're going to pontificate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you want to get started. Well, uh, soon, because I think most everyone's here, and it's going to take a while to get through some of this material. So maybe in the next five minutes. 10.30? Yeah, please. 10.30 is Okay, okay. we'll make it happen. We got, we got here about yeah, I figured a little bit. 10 after. Yeah. Oh, like, really? Yeah, I got down here at 10 oh, after. Oh, goodness. Well, we so, can. Yeah, we've had, we've had all kinds of friends and family. Oh, well, we can. Uh, <laughs> Well, you can start any time because most everyone's here then anyway, so that's fine. Sure. Okay. Hey there, buddy. There you are. Good to see you, too. All right. Good, good. I put you in water right there. I appreciate that. Thank you. I can probably use that. <laughs> Hey, Donnie, how are you? I'm doing okay, man. You doing all right? Yes, I am. Work treating you okay? Oh, yeah. Hey, Terry, how are you? Hi, Helen. Okay. Hey, pardon me? Oh, it was wonderful with uh, Krista. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, me too. A lot of fun. Good morning. How are you? What's that? Philip. Who, me? Your wife. Oh, Marty. There you go. That's all right. That's all right. What time did you get in last night? Uh, I didn't get home till after two. Wow. Yeah. I'm looking for you earlier. I figured you probably get. Yeah, yeah. I figured it'd just be a little bit, a little bit too, too hard. So I didn't want to, didn't want to do that. So I just figured just come in at this time, which works out a lot better. So I mean, I feel fine as far as that goes. 
So well, you don't you don't always get seven eight hours sleep, do you? Not always, but lately I've been getting a little bit more though. I will say that because I think I've just been needing it. <laughs> well, yeah, you're one of the fatigue and also the injury. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. You've been on my mind all week. Well, I appreciate that, man. Seriously, it's been a hard week. But yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Corner, but it's, uh, anyway. Yeah, we'll have to get together real, real, real soon. Real soon. Yeah. There he is. How are you? All right. Hey, Todd. How are you? Teach us up this morning. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Oh, we're we're gonna get fired up. Today. I'm gonna give you a little part on the book. It's the only book in scripture that says if you hear it or read it, you'll be blessed. I just want you to know that. Okay? That's right. I bet you didn't know that, did you? No, I didn't. That's what it says. That's cool. Teresa Mansfield, bless her heart, she's taken off to North Carolina. 
to help out her grand, her daughter and uh, grandchildren. So uh, be, with, be with her while she's traveling. Um, what else? talk about the country, we got an upcoming election locally. Tell us all about it. Here we go. Yes, sir.
Christ, y'all. Let's talk to God, okay? Please. Father God, I'm going to ask you right here, right now, please. We come here because we love you. We come here because we believe in you. We know you are the one true, honest God. Wherever we go, whatever we do, as we leave here, let us always take that. If we're not doing it in this building, we need to take that with us wherever we go. Everybody who leaves this building, wherever they go, understand that you are the one true loving God who presented his son to us and asked us to love him. And your son asked us to love you. Dear God, that's what we need to take with us wherever we go, whatever we do. Let us always remember that. Wherever we go, whatever building we take that from, whatever building we go to, wherever we come in contact with, you are our God. You love us, and all that you ask us here is that we love you back. Let us always do that. In that process, dear God, we have things going on down here. This week is ABC. We have a time with kids, a lot of a lot of a lot of fine folks go with these kids and go off to Fall Creek Falls. It's a great time centered around you, dear God. We want all their kids activities be a blast. We want them to have a good time. Selfishly ask again. If we take a few bruises, we'll take a few scratches. We're going to ask that nobody break anything, please. But dear God, keep everybody safe. Let them have a great time. And above all, let everybody grow closer to you in this entire process. Dear God, please, you take care of some other folks who are concerned about Miss Teresa is traveling to North Carolina. You get her there safe. Let her do what she wants to do for her family. You take care of her, please. Sandra Ladd. We want them to find out what's going on with that heart of hers. Let that spiritual heart be fixed. Take care of her. Her son's not doing too well. We want him to get better. Please make that happen for him. Wayne Williams' brother has gone through a tough, tough deal. <coughs> tough deal. I'm asking you right now, dear God, let each and every day that, that Wayne is on this world, let it be a good day for him. Relieve the pain. Please, relieve that pain. want our country, whatever shape, whatever fashion, to recognize you as our God. Let your influence cover our country somehow, somewhere. Let us have the power to be able to convey that to everybody. We have some local elections coming up. We want people who are influenced by you. Brenda's going to have having chemo. Please let that chemo work. Please make that happen if you could. Please do that. Walt Lever is recovering from heart surgery. Can't imagine. Can't imagine the people he is. He's, he has touched over the years, dear God. I ask you, please let him do what he wants to do on your behalf for as many years as possible for this world. John to get some answers. We want things to find out what's going on and let the right people with the right treatment make this happen. We want him to get better. Please make that happen. Be with Sister Cunningham each and every day. You keep her heart strong. 
like all of us here, God, you look out for us close. Let our hearts always be attuned to you, dear God. I pray for your hearing for what you do. It's beyond measure, beyond belief, a lot of times beyond understanding. But thank you so much for preparing that place for us in eternity. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we pray to each and every time. Amen. Please Amen. Good morning. Good morning. In about uh, 15 minutes or so, around 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, I'd like to have two able-bodied pass out a handout. That way it'll save some time. I just don't want you to have it yet. Get y'all's uh, attention on something else first, and then we'll go over that a little bit. <clears throat> Please turn your Bibles over to Revelation chapter 17. Not quite yet. You, 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 you can hold on to it. Yeah, just don't look at it, all right? Thank you, William. We should have enough, probably one for everyone. All right, there we are. All right. Um, it's good to be back and uh, very, very thankful to be here. Uh, last week, we just briefly started to introduce, uh, we just read the first few verses in Revelation 17. And uh, today, we're going to, going to go over those, not spend a lot of time on the first part, because it is, it is the vision that John... Um, uh, has been given here, and so we'll take a look, look at that, and then we're going to spend more time on the explanation, which the angel helps us out a lot in that regard, and uh, so what we're going to try to do is to fill in not so much the gaps, but uh, put names and faces with some of the things that the angel actually was revealing to John, <clears throat> and I think it'll, it'll help us out, but I will say this at the onset. What I'm going to be uh, uh, presenting today has not, is not universally accepted. Because, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. Anyone who has done a study on the book of Revelation, if you have 200 different scholars, you will probably get um, quite a few different ideas and thoughts. So what I'm going to present is not universally um, uh, accepted in that regard. But I will say that I believe according to the context, uh, I believe um, it, it, it's going to help in a lot of, re, uh, in a lot of regards. Uh, and I believe what I'm going to present will present the least difficulty in trying to answer things. Because I know it's like uh, last week when Gloria was asking a question with regard to the drying up of the Euphrates. Uh, we have all these questions. And so um, I think what I'm going to present today will actually help in that regard uh, as well. Again, we need to remember the recipients of the book were first century Christians living in Asia Minor. What did it mean to them? That is a key. That really is something that's going to be very, very helpful. Something also that would be very helpful in the study, especially of this, this particular chapter, is to become familiar with Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, part of 8 as well. And I'll get into the reasons why on that, but I do believe having a good understanding of that, at least, or at least a rudimentary understanding of that, will help us in this regard. Because the book of Revelation is rooted in the Old Testament, and this chapter is rooted in the book of Daniel. And so we will spend some time in the book of Daniel uh, today as well. Um, uh, John is going to be mentioning a beast again in chapter 17. He already introduces to that uh, in, in some detail in chapter 13. We're just going to expand on that as well a li little bit. 
You're always welcome to disagree. Uh, feel free to bring up comments or any thoughts. I will do my best, especially at the very end, uh, to leave some time for some questions and answers if you like to have that. But also, if there's something that what I said that doesn't make sense, uh, now feel free to make, make, make comments. Uh, so uh, this is not meant just to be a lecture, although it, it is going to be a little bit uh, confusing unless you have this little sheet in front of you, which I think will be very helpful as we go through this uh, particular chapter. Uh, actually, chapter 17 and 18 really go hand in hand together as well uh, on this. Uh, let's see. The angel is going to use, again, very figurative language in the first several verses of this particular chapter. From verses 7 and on, for the most part, the figures are going to be removed. We are going to be given an explanation. Not every time in Scripture does God always give, give explanations. You notice even the parables. Uh, Jesus himself would give a parable. And many times you don't have the interpretation. But when Jesus gave the interpretation, that is what it meant. So we don't want to you know, go off in a hundred different directions saying, oh, Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. Jesus knows what he's talking about. So if God, um, an angel, an inspired writer says something that it is, it's probably better advice to say, okay, I, I may not understand it all, but, but I will go ahead and concur with what you said. Um, let's see. So we need also to look at what explanation is going to best fit the context, and that's what we'll try to be focused on today. So that's kind of sort of the preliminary thoughts there. So let's just start off here in the first several verses. One of the angels, one of the seven angels, verse 1, who, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, Come and I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with her wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast and was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. We'll just stop with that. We'll just only spend a few minutes on, on this, not a lot of time, because in chapter 18, it'll actually explain a lot more in detail as far as what uh, some of this imagery means. Uh, but of course, it always begs, begs the question right off the bat, um, who is this great prostitute? That, uh, that the angel brought up. Well, first of all, we're going to, we're going to find out a few things about her. It says, With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. In chapter 18, we're actually going to see in chapter 18, verses 9, 11, 14, and 15, in chapter 18, it talks about alliances that these, um, these kings and these different merchants had with the city of Rome. And so I will, I will have to interject that to, to a certain degree. Um, and that's, that's what we're actually re reading about. It says this, uh, this great prostitute who sits by many, many waters. Um, again, as I mentioned last week toward the very end, 
I want to go to the interpretation of what the angel said with this is, first of all. It says, the angel said to me in verse 15, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute and they will bring her to ruin and leave her naked and they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand her over to the beast by um, uh, their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. To me, that is fairly clear who, that, who the identity is the great prostitute is and I would argue that it is Rome now I would agree that there are some that would disagree with that they would actually bring up some other names and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what I don't believe but I do want to just introduce a couple of thoughts here first of all and the reasons why I don't subscribe to them uh, some people have argued that this woman here is actually the apostate church and they will say oh no you know it's just the, the falling away of the church and so and so she's now being being punished um, other people say it's the papacy. You know, as we know, as centuries went, went by, there was a growing, uh, uh, growing religious movement, and of course, it took uh, took a lot of control, had a lot of power, and it was very, um, uh, very, very abusive and like that. So, so we have these ideas of that. So, people have come up with different ideas of who this woman is. The reason why some of this doesn't, to me, make as much sense. Uh, as far as the explanation of it, is because in chapter 18, it talks about the merchants would, would go to her and then gain their wealth for, for, from that. Or also that she ruled over the, uh, the, uh, the kings of the earth. Well, the church ne never did that. And so unless you start to redefine what the, what the, um, the kings of the earth, what the earth means, um, then you're going to have difficulty with that. But I believe that that actually presents more problems and it creates more problems than if you just stick with the idea that it is Rome. And I will get into the, uh, the explanation more why I believe it, it is Rome. But essentially, uh, the kings were, the, how, how they committed adultery was these alliances. And, and maybe next week, or especially when we're in chapter 18, we'll get into a little bit more detail about that. It says, The angel carried me away in spirit uh, uh, into the wilderness, there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast was covered with blasphemous names, had seven heads and ten horns. That goes right back to chapter 13 again about the beast. So we're talking about the same beast that is involved in chapter 13 as we are in here in chapter 17. In chapter 13 we recognize there that that description that John was given was rooted in Daniel chapter 7 verses 3 and following. There was a vision that Daniel had. And, 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 it, and it played into uh, part of this. And we'll look into that in a little bit more greater de detail later. But it just talks about her, uh, her um, uh, splendor. Uh, there I saw the woman sitting. She was covered with blasphemous names. Um, the woman was dressed in purple, suggesting of royalty and scarlet, glittering with gold and precious stones. So she was very elaborate, very wealthy, um, attractive, if you want to say that. And she was attractive. Rome was very attractive to the nations of the world because of her great wealth and her power and what she could offer people. People tend to want to uh, get close to people that are successful, whether you're talking about Bill Gates, Elon Musk, any. If people are successful, you want to gravitate to them because maybe because if I'm close to them, I can become rich too. And that's the idea that people have. For, nothing has changed in the world in that regard. So here, I believe that Rome is the one um, involved with that. But it, it makes her look very, very, very beautiful. 
Uh, she held a golden cup in her hand. Unfortunately, her cup was filled with other things, abominable things and filth of her adulteries. And she had a name. She wore this badge on her head. Again, this is a vision. She had this badge on her head. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. What a name to have on your head. And Rome was proud. Proud of that very fact. And so it says, and, uh, and the abominations of the earth. John says, I saw the woman and she was drunk with the blood of God's holy people. So rather than being drunk with wine or alcohol, she was drunk with blood because she was a persecutor of God's people. Severe persecutor. Especially one of the primary uh, rulers, which was Nero. Great persecutor of God's people. So she was drunk on the blood of killing Christians, slaughtering them, just for sport. I just don't like you. And so she was very well known for that. But it makes her look rather spectacular here. Um, and like I said, we'll get into more detail later about some of maybe some of the alliances because chapter 18 really talks about that. But John was amazed and he was says, astonished at this. Maybe he had a confused look on his face whenever he saw this particular woman with this, uh, on, on this beast and these heads and these uh, horns, all these things. It was just kind of scary looking. But then the angel was very good to say, I'm going to explain it to you. And so, uh, gentlemen, if you would please pass one of those sheets out to everyone. This is kind of where we want to start here. So we'll do that. And also, you know, one of the things, that, while they're passing those out, um, among other things, one of the things I believe that Tacitus, he was a Roman historian, mentioned uh, very early on with regard to Nero. There was a great fire in Rome in 64 AD. He blamed the Christians and um, that they were the ones responsible for that. So... Um, he wasn't a good guy. Uh, Rome wasn't kind to our early brothers and sisters at all. And there are lots of other things that they, that they did. But I'll let you pass that, that around first of all. And um, then we'll get into this. Okay, looks like most of them are out. All right. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Nero. Nero. Yes. All right. Does everyone have one? Okay. All right. As I mentioned before, um, we can just leave, leave those up here in case we need to have those because we'll probably take a look at that a little bit uh, next week as well. So again, the first part of this is a very, very symbolic language about this great woman on this beast. And the beast was already talked about in some detail in chapter 13 as well. And so uh, in chapter thir 13, I'll just go over there just briefly again. It says, The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, ten crowns on his horns. And the beast resembled a, um, a leopard that had feet like a bear and the mouth like a lion. And the reason this is important here is because the language that John is using here is bringing us back to the book of Daniel chapter 7. Because in Daniel chapter 7, you can take a look at this sheet here. 
Daniel, there, there were several visions given in that particular book. Let me just start with the f- first one that, that Daniel does not allude to, but I think it, it, it helps fit the context. When Daniel was a teenager, he was taken captive, and he was in ba- Babylon. He became a part of the cabinet of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was what was known as a wise man. Deal, dealt with probably a lot of astrology and various things like this. He was a part of that group. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he was confused with the dream. He had a dream of this massive statue. And the thing is, though, it bothered him so much, he asked his wise men, please tell me what, the, what this dream means. Because, in fact, God was actually communicating to Nebuchadnezzar what was going to happen in the future. And he probably knew that some of his cohorts or some of the, his cabinet was not always honest with him. So he said, I want you to tell me what my dream was and then the interpretation. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're asking too much. No, and, you know, no just, tell us, just tell us what the dream was and we'll give you the interpretation. And he wouldn't buy it. He wanted to be convinced that they knew what was going on. So he said, you need to tell me what my dream was and the interpretation. Basically, they said, we can't. We can't do it. Daniel, of course, goes there, and then God gives Daniel the interpretation. But basically, this, the dream was this. There was a great statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw. He saw the statue had a head of gold. It had arms and a chest of silver. It had a waist and thighs of bronze, and it had legs of iron. It had feet mixed with iron and clay. But also in that vision, toward the very end, there was something else that happened. There was this rock that was, came out of this mountain, and it hit the statue, and it destroyed it. Then Daniel says, I'll give you what the interpretation is. Again, it's important to remember, if this is the interpretation, then this, is in fact, is what it is. But I believe what we can do is put some, a little bit of specifics on what Daniel said there. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that head of gold. He says, after you, there will be another kingdom uh, inferior to yours. And then then he goes on, then there will be a third kingdom as well. And then there will be a fourth kingdom. Then it'll be a terrible kingdom. But there's going to be something really different about about, about that one. It's going to be really strong, but its feet are going to be mixed with clay and iron. So it suggests some instability. But then he says, you saw this rock that was, came out of this mountain and it crushed the beast. That, God is going to establish his kingdom in the days of those kings and it's going to destroy those other kingdoms. So essentially it was dealing with four kingdoms. The four kingdoms I believe that Daniel was talking about was Babylon, Medo-Persian, later Greece, and then Rome. And it happens to be that during the time of the Roman rulers is when God's kingdom came on earth. What would be, at least, keeping this generic, what would be another name of God's kingdom on earth that happened? What is it called? The church. That was God's kingdom. But also, I want you also to bear this in mind, something very important to bear, to think about. When it said that God's kingdom would arise during, this, during these kings and then it would destroy the statue, it doesn't have to mean that it destroyed them physically because the Roman Empire continued to exist for a while 
and those, <coughs> and those other kingdoms did. I believe what we're still reading about is spiritual warfare. God still said that it happened. We need to realize when God says something, sometimes we may, we may have an idea of how that would materialize itself. It doesn't always materialize the way we think it necessarily would. Just like when Jesus was on the cross, and one of the great statements that Jesus said on the cross was to tell us die. Paid in full. But a person who didn't know the background of Jesus didn't have insight to what he was doing, would have no idea this Galilean on that cross, what was going on behind the scenes. They wouldn't know that sins are being forgiven. They wouldn't know that. There were hints that something happened. The, the, the veil in the, in the temple rent in half. Of course, he didn't have a clue with that meant either. But all these things happened. So I believe even here in Daniel chapter 2, we're reading about uh, this. But anyway, so, but now I also want to refer to you also now to Daniel 7 because Daniel 2 and chapter 7 are actually virtually the same thing. One was a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Chapter 7 in Daniel was a vision that Daniel himself received about 50 years later. 50 years later. So let's go ahead and turn over there just briefly as well. Daniel chapter 7. So let me get over here. In Daniel chapter 7, this is in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind. He was laying on his bed, and he wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said in my vision at night, I looked up, and there before me was four winds of heaven, churning the great sea, four great beasts, each different from one another, came out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had wings of an eagle. I watched until the wings were torn off. And before me there was a second beast. It looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and had three ribs in its mouth uh, in its teeth. After this, there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like, like that of a bird. The beast had four heads. It was given authority to rule. Um, and this is an end of my vision. I looked and before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening. It was large, it had large iron teeth that crushed, devoured its victims, and trampled on their feet what was left. It was different from the other beast, and it had ten horns. And I was thinking about the horns, and there before me was another horn, a little one, and it came up from among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The horn had eyes like a human being and a mouth that spoke very boastfully. So in this one, this particular vision that Daniel had, he had a vision of four beasts. Now, he names what three of the beasts look like to him. And on that sheet, it mentions a lion, a bear, and a leopard. Again, without going into great detail, but this is what he saw, what, what it kind of looked like in that vision. But you remember in chapter 13 of Revelation, when John was describing the beast there, he used the very same language as Daniel did in, 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 um, in Daniel um, uh, 7. He says, I saw the beast, uh, Revelation 13, 2. It resembled a leopard that had feet of a bear and a mouth like a lion. The same words that Daniel used there. Now, what was important was Daniel was also, Daniel really didn't know what this meant either. 
Um, but, but it does talk about there are going to be these, uh, these ten horns, and then there's going to be an eleventh horn, and the eleventh horn was going to, going to uproot three, three of the horns, and then it was going to be really boastful. But then later, in Daniel chapter 7, it's given the interpretation, because Daniel tells us in Daniel 7, he wanted to know more about that beast. He says, uh, and he told me, he gave me the, the interpretation of these things, the four great beasts, let's see, uh, let's see if that's really right. Um, the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people will receive a kingdom. I wanted to know more about the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, the most terrifying with its iron teeth and its claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims. I wanted to know more, more about that. And he gave me the explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms. I'm reading in Daniel 7, verse 23. And it will devour the whole earth and trample it down and crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. And after them, another king will arise. So that's an eleventh king. He will arise from the earlier ones, and he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High, oppress God, uh, the holy people, and try to change the uh, set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into the hands for a time, times, and a half a time. But the court will set, basically, and he'll be judged. This is then the sovereignty, the power, the greatness of all the kings um, of the heaven, uh, of under heaven, will be handed over to his holy people. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. He says, This ended the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. My face turned pale, but I kept matters to myself. So basically, he was terrified at this vision that he had. He wanted to know more about the fourth beast, and so. The explanation to him was, it's ten kings. It's going to, this fourth beast is a fourth kingdom. And there's going to be these ten kings are going to come from that. Then there's going to be an eleventh king as well. And again, the key is the eleventh one is going to be the really bad one. We need to keep that in mind. So I have on this particular sheet here under Daniel chapter 7, we go down there and it talks about a lion, a bear, and a leopard. I believe, again, since these are four kingdoms, I believe we are talking about the very same four kingdoms that Daniel was referring to in Daniel uh, chapter 2. Since there are kingdoms, the first one again being Babylon, which basically ruled from 605 to 539. This is at, at the height of their, their empire. They were around there before that, just like Rome. Rome actually started in 753 B.C. They were powerful at 300 B.C. as well. They weren't world dominant until much later, but you know these kingdoms. You know it's not like one day they were here, one day they weren't, and vice versa. But anyway, so in Daniel chapter seven, it talks about this lion, bear, and leopard, and the leopard being Greece. Then we have this terrifying beast, the fourth beast, which is the fourth kingdom, and I believe again it is Rome. Now it says it has ten horns, according to verse uh, chapter seven, verse seven through nine. Then another eleventh horn grew up, as well. So what I have in Daniel chapter 7 down there would be what are the kings that he is talking about here. We start with Augustus. The reason why we start with Augustus is true. Julius was a very powerful man, but he was a self-appointed dictator. He was not the first Roman emperor. He was not. And I'll explain more in detail why I believe you would have to start with uh, Augustus anyway. But the ten kings of this would be the first ten emperors of Rome. Augustus. 
Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, uh, Galba, Otha, Vitellius, Vespasian, Titus, and the 11th was Domitian. Remember, the 11th was the really bad one. That happens to be the uh, 11th emperor there. And um, just a little, little side note in case someone had been, someone maybe kind of questioning the, these, these empires, uh, there was another vision in chapter uh, 8 of Daniel. I'm just going to mention just two different ver verses because there was another uh, vision and an interpretation was given as well. In verse 20 there, it says, The two-horned ram you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. So it tells you. It's Media and Persia. And then in verse 21, it says the shaggy goat is the kingdom of Greece. Then it says, and the, uh, and the first large horn is the first king, which would be Alexander the Great. The four horns that replaced the one that were bro broken off represent the four kingdoms that will emerge from that nation. It just happens to be when Alexander the Great died, uh, when he was about 33 years old as well, his kingdom was divided into four groups. Later, two dominant ones uh, developed from that. The Ptolemies from Egypt and the uh, Seleucus more from the area of Syria. But, his, but Alexander's kingdom was divided into four. That's why it talks about four. So this shaggy goat was Greece. And, and it actually specifically tells you that that's exactly what it was. So that kind of hel helps us out there. So um, did I already confuse you so far? <laughs> Hope not. Okay. But let's get back over here to Revelation 13 when we're dealing again with this beast here because I want to just say a couple things about this. In Revelation 13 it says, I saw this beast that resembled a leopard, a bear, and a lion. Why that is so important is it's the same imagery that Daniel saw in chapter 7. But in Daniel's order he saw the lion, bear, and the leopard because he was looking into the future what was going to happen, the, the, the future kingdoms. From John's standpoint he was looking backwards so he saw everything in reverse order here. So he saw uh, it was something else. He saw uh, it represented a leopard, a bear, and a lion. I believe referring to the very same kingdoms. The dragon came and gave the beast his power, verse uh, uh, 2, and his throne in great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast, and the people worshipped the dragon because he had been given authority to the beast. And also they worshipped the beast and said, who's like, who's like the beast? Most people would believe, at least in this context here, that the, uh, that the head that received this fatal wound was Nero. He actually committed suicide, but, but he died. But it talks about it being healed. And the, believe, the reason why it was, talks about it being healed was the fact that he was a great persecutor of God's people, primarily dealing with Rome. It wasn't a policy-wide, but in Rome he was very harsh on, on Christians. But what happened was when he died, there were some other people who wanted to almost impersonate Nero, and there were a few people that actually did try to impersonate it. It wasn't true, but, but they did that. But so people had the notion that he would come back to life, or maybe he wasn't even dead in the first place, this great persecutor. So after Nero died, persecution as Christians subsided for a while. But it was going to be ramped up again. I believe what we're reading now in the book of Revelation is a time when the persecution had subsided in Rome for a little bit. But that wasn't going to be the end yet at all. Uh, there was going to be more that was going, going to happen. Um, 
So anyway, he says, one of the heads uh, seemed to have a fatal wound, and the fatal wound had been healed. The whole uh, world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Uh, the beast was given uh, a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemous in authority for 42 months. Opened his mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name. Um, very typical, especially of Domitian himself. Domitian wanted to be called the Lord God. That's how he wanted to be called when he was yet alive. He, wanted, he took his divinity extremely seriously and he wanted people to call him Lord and God to his face. He believed that he was God himself, which of course he wasn't. So again, in chapter 13, it talks about these, um, uh, these uh, ten horns. I believe we're still reading about these, um, uh, the first ten, ten kings. But in chapter 17, we have a different twist that happens. And let me just read uh, here, because this is where the angel gives the interpretation here to this. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished, and the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I'll explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides on, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come out of the abyss and go on to destructions. The inhabitants of the earth, those names who have not been written on the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished and they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. So that may sound kind of tricky. Um, I don't believe it's as tricky as what it actually sounds here. He says there was a beast who once was. Means, and it says, and is not now. I believe he was referring to Nero. Nero had already died. So the beast was not. So in, 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 in the more specific sense, the, the beast that the Christians feared a lot was Nero. He was not. He was dead. He, was, he committed uh, suicide in 68 AD. He, he committed suicide. But, it's, but it also goes and says he is not, and yet will come. So it's like he's going to come back again. Well, he did, but in a different way. The spirit of Nero, and I don't mean that in any strange sense, but, but what Nero did to Christians was going to be also carried on by another Roman emperor. And his name was Domitian, but he wasn't here yet. He wasn't here, here yet. But he goes on here and says this. This calls for a mind of, with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Okay. One thing, Rome was built on seven hills. Now, it's true that Jerusalem was as well. But Jerusalem doesn't seem to fit the context. But it says, the, the angel says, the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Rome was built on seven hills. But he says this, they are also seven kings. He says, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he comes, he must remain only a little while, and then the beast who was and is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. So again, it may sound a little bit convoluted, but actually if you follow his train of thought, he's saying this, I want you to know what this seven refers to. First of all, the, the seven heads refers to seven hills. 
That's who we're dealing with. Was a, which again, I believe that's Rome. Seven, that, that would be the city. That kind of corresponds with the idea of what is later said in verse 15 and 18. The woman sits all, on the city, actually says the, uh, um, see, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. So to me, it's very clear it's referring to Rome. But then he also says, but it's also seven kings. Five have fallen. I believe all we're seeing there is five are no longer around anymore. They're dead. So who would the five be that the angel's talking about? Going over that sheet again. Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. Five have fallen. Five are no longer here. They're dead. Then he says, one is, and the other, uh, okay, one is meaning the one who is currently there. Now, well, another thing that we need to bear in mind when we're going through, through this is, in John's case here, he's not going to count 11. He's only going to deal with 8. His focus is on 7, then he says, then there's going to be an 8th. But remember in the book of Daniel, it said that there were three kings that were uprooted. I believe the three uprooted kings are Galba, Otha, Vitellius. They were Roman emperors. They were, they, were, um, uh, they were almost more like usurpers. They were not persecutors of God's people either. They used to fight to stay alive. And they, they didn't rule very, very long either. Matter of fact, uh, it says here that Galba ruled seven months, Otha three months, Vitellius eight months. <laughs> wasn't very good. Uh, wasn't very good to be a Roman emperor at that, that, that time because people wanted, uh, wanted your head. They fought against one another. I believe those are the three that were up, uprooted. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so he says, one is. That would be the one that's currently reigning. And that would be the case if you take out the three that were uprooted, then the one is, is Vespasian. Vespasian was not a, a persecutor of God's people. He was not. He ruled from 69 to 79. Then it says, I'm going to get the person who's running that bell. <laughs> okay, and then why this is also important, it says, but when he, um, five have fallen, one is, the other one has not yet come, but when he does, he must remain only a little while. It's interesting. Vespasian ruled from 69 to 79. I believe that is when the book of Revelation was written. I believe that's when it was written because he says, there was one that is now, and that would be Vespasian. <laughs> Then he says, then there's going to be one. He is not here yet, but he's only going to reign a little, little while. Vespasian's son, one of his sons, was named as Titus. He happened to be the one that, that destroyed uh, Jerusalem. He reigned only two years. So I think that fits in here. The other one is not yet. Come when he does, he'll only reign a little while. Titus. Then there's going to be an eighth king after that. Um... The beast who once was, referring to, again, the idea of a persecutor, Nero, and is now is not, is an eighth king, and he belongs to the seventh. So now we have the eighth king, and who would the eighth king be? Domitian, at this point. So the eleventh king in the book of Daniel is the same as the eighth king in Revelation 17, and it's referring to the very same person, Domitian. All what John does is he removes the three usurpers, at all. So it's the eighth is the bad one, the real bad one, and the eleventh in the book of Daniel. 
Now, we have a few, few minutes, so I'll still do this. Any comments or thoughts? We'll finish up this part next week. But to me, this fits the context better, in my opinion, when we're dealing with, with this. Because also, I believe the angel is being, trying to get very specific as far as what the explanation is. All we're doing here is putting some names on it. Any, any thoughts? Comments, criticisms, or anything else? I mean, you totally got it, right? Honestly, I don't believe it is as complicated as what some people have made it. I'm not saying it's not at all, but because it is rooted in the book of Daniel. But when you remember Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 are referring to the very same thing, written 50 years apart, and it focuses on the fourth kingdom especially, the fourth kingdom being Rome. And then we find out that this Roman Empire is supposed to have these, these uh, tin horns, or the, and then they're kings. And then, then there's going to be another one that's going to appear on the 11th, go through those emperors. It fits to me, as um, uh, Jim Carrey would say, it fits like a glove. <laughs> to me it does anyway. Yes, Bonnie? Well, yeah. Well, actually, right. It, it, this, this part hadn't happened quite yet because he's kind of a fall. The one is, meaning the time of Vespasian. So there was a little bit of time of, you want to say, peace. But of course, in 70 AD, that's when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by, by Vespasian's son, Titus. Actually, Vespasian was the one trying to destroy it, and then he was called to Rome. Uh, because of Vitellius' death, so he had become the Roman emperor, so he left his son Titus there to finish the job, which he did very effectively, and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And then, but, but it was during the time of Vespasian is when, I believe this was happening, there was a little bit of, of subsiding of persecution, but it wasn't going to last very much longer. It was going to happen very soon that this other beast would arise, it's this 11th king, and that would be Domitian. So yeah, uh, so they may not have known the name yet, but it was very clear of who this other persecutor was going to be. Because he says, five have fallen, one is where you are right now. There will be another king that's going to reign. He'll only reign a little bit, Titus. And after him, there's going to be an eighth king. And he's the bad one. And it happens to be that was another one of Vespasian's sons who began to rule in 81. And he ruled until 96. And he was ruthless. So the Christians were not out of the woods at all yet. They were going to endure a lot. So they maybe wouldn't have put the name of um, Titus and Domitian on there, but we can because we know, because we're looking back in history. They probably didn't know it was going to be Domitian. They just knew there was going to be someone else who was going to appear like that Nero who was horrible. And it just happens to be it was Domitian who was bad. And then he had a policy to persecute Christians. Yes, Bonnie. Oh, I think they were very much impacted by this because one of the reasons why, because there were some of those cities, remember, um, as, uh, John even describes it as you are in the, uh, you're at the throne of Satan. There were certain cities that were very preeminent pro-emperor. And let me tell you, that, that's why some of these cities would actually build these statues there to try to bring honor, you know, to, to their city. 
and to honor the, 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 the king, the, the emperor. But also one of the things that they would do, though, is you've got to bow down. You've got to bow down. You don't, ah, it's going to be bad for you. So they were already, they, they were very much aware of the persecution and suffering already going on. They were very much in tune with Rome. Very much in tune with it. And um, no wonder in chapter 6 they says, Lord, when are you going to avenge all this? When? They were concerned. And they had reason to be concerned. They were really going through a bad time. A real bad time. But again, we're dealing with the first century. They would have understood this as well. All what we've done today, and bring that sheet back next week, all what we have done today is put some names and dates on there to see if it may, makes sense. To me, this presents the least amount of difficulty than the other thing. If you just say a gen generic things like, oh, the apostate church or this, that, or the other, to me, that doesn't fit the context. This, to me, does. It fits it very well. And um, our brothers and sisters were very much aware of what was going on. Any other comments or thoughts? We'll pick up on this next week. I'm sorry the time just kind of got, got away. But this is, that's why this, this little sheet is kind of helpful there uh, in, that, in that regard. But if you have questions or disagree, just feel free to, to, to bring them up. Uh, it's, it's okay. But that, to me, presents the least amount of difficulties in this entire study. But I do believe that chapter 17 is a key to the book in that regard. It helps us to know when the book was written and really um, zeroes in on uh, the focus of the first century a lot. Any other thoughts or comments? Y'all have been too quiet today. I'm sorry. All right. All right. We will pick this up next week. Week after next. Thank you. That's right. Camper's going to be back. Yeah. Well, campers are going to be back. Oh, yeah.